Good morning. Today's scripture is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Does anybody know what today is? Yes, Sunday, the 15th, 10 days left until Christmas. I don't know about some of you, I grew up in Iowa where it's a little bit farther north than here, so, I mean, it's also west, but I mean, a little bit north in that there's more snow usually around this time of year, so for me, it's really hard to start feeling like it's Christmas until there's snow. Anybody with me? Okay, a few of you. So, yeah, uh, until we get down to like the last 10 days. The last 10 days, the countdown to Christmas, it's like Christmas is coming. Nine more days until Christmas Eve, my favorite part, 10 days until we get to open the, uh, the gifts that are piling up underneath the tree, 11 more days until we put all of our stuff in a car and drive to Iowa for Christmas <laughs> with my family. How many of you all are traveling somewhere this year for Christmas to spend time with friends, family? Okay, good number of you. How many of you are looking forward to it? Fewer hands, okay. How many of you are so excited to travel this year because you know that this year, unlike any other year, there's gonna be no drama, there's gonna be no tension, there's gonna be no awkward conversations, no storm outs, it's gonna be Hallmark movie level Christmas cheer for the entirety of your stay. Anyone? One, okay, she's eaten by herself, that's why. I only got one first hour as well. You know, I've realized that the more years now that my wife and I and our daughter have driven back to family get-togethers around Christmas, I've realized how easy it is to do the whole, like, Christmas celebration thing, to get all torqued off at each other, to get really annoyed, and then to leave and never deal with it. Is this anybody else's experience? You have a whole year to ignore it and hope it goes away, right? Of course, then you come back the next year and it's like everybody's starting at just a little bit higher of attention level than the year before, and it takes a little less to sort of spark disputes. I guess one of the things I've noticed just in watching family interactions with my family and my dads and moms, siblings, and all of this stuff is that unresolved broken relationships 
don't get better when everyone walks away. Have you noticed that? Broken relationships don't magically heal themselves when everyone walks away. They don't even stay at the same level of broken. They disintegrate. When there's a break in a relationship, when something has gone wrong, when something, you know, that bond has been broken, trust has been broken, it doesn't get better, it gets worse until somebody steps into that brokenness. We've been taking the Advent season, these uh, four Sundays in the run-up to Christmas, to look at Colossians 1, at this great hymn or poem to Jesus that Paul is quoting or paraphrasing or using in his letter to the Colossians. Uh, Because every week on this run-up to Christmas, as we've looked at this poem, it's reminded us where Christmas falls in the big story of the Bible. Over and over again, we've been going through, what what is the story of the Bible? What is the story of humanity? Well, we were created uh, in perfect worship of God. We were made to worship. We were created in harmony with Him. Our relationship was pure. It was clean. It was whole until we walked away. We were created to worship, but then we fell away from worship of God. We walked away from worshiping Him. We replaced our worship of God with the worship of something else, anything else that we thought could could maybe serve as a foundation for our lives where we wouldn't be accountable to this God who had created us. We as humans and individually, I mean, we're born into this now. We've walked away from worship of God. And this broken relationship is now sitting there. And it's not getting better until someone moves into the brokenness. In Colossians 1 and in this poem, I mean, the reason it's written is to celebrate what Jesus did to step into the brokenness of our relationship with God. This is the third movement in this whole big story of the Bible. We were made to worship, we've fallen in our worship, and now Jesus has come to buy back, to redeem our worship of God, to draw us back to the place we were created to be. That's why this poem is written. That's why this song is in here, to celebrate what Jesus has done. And at Advent, at Christmas, we celebrate the first step in God moving toward us, moving into the brokenness. So we're going to look at just two verses, verses 19 and 20, because the whole story is in just these two verses. This whole, I shouldn't say the whole story, the whole third part of the whole story is in these two verses. And what we're going to see, I want this to sort of be in the back of your mind going over and over again as we walk through this, and that's for there to be reconciliation... Someone has to move, and someone has to sacrifice. Are you with me? For there to be reconciliation, for broken relationships to be restored, someone has to move, and someone has to sacrifice. Those are the two main ideas we're going to look at as we look at these two verses. So if you're with me, we're going to jump in. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 19. If you, haven't found, uh, if you haven't found a copy to look at yourself, there's a black Bible underneath the seat in front of you. It's on page 1168 if you want to join along um, or just shout at your phone, hey Siri, pull up Colossians 1, see what happens. Verse 19, for in him, he's talking about Jesus, 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Sounds like somebody took me seriously over there. (laughs) That's what happens if you try to use Siri in church, guys. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So that, or and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, so God could reconcile to himself. Through Jesus, God reconciled to himself. There's a lot of uh, pronouns in this that aren't necessarily like spelled out for us, so I'm, I'm getting a little pedantic here. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus, to reconcile to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. This is the entirety of this third part of the whole story of the Bible, of Jesus coming, God moving toward us, moving into the brokenness to reconcile. Remember, I said there's two main ideas here. In order for there to be reconciliation, someone has to move, someone has to sacrifice. Let's consider the first one. Someone has to move. I want you to focus on verse 19. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell some great pictures in this verse, all of the, the fullness of God. Fullness is one of these words in Greek that has been used in all sorts of different ways because it's just so rich with meaning. But in this context, in this song, when it says the fullness of God, it's saying everything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus. You describe God's holiness, his perfection, his sinlessness, his uncreatedness, all of that that you can say about God, you can now say about Jesus. All of the fullness of God, everything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus. In him, everything there is to be when you think of being God is in him, in Jesus, in a baby, in a man, in a human. The first part of uh, reconciliation happening is that somebody has to move. And right away in verse 19, we read that God moved first. In Jesus, in humanity, all of the fullness of God, everything you can say about God, was pleased to dwell Dwell, of course, is one of those words that we use when we're talking about putting up, like, permanent residence, moving in. It's not a word we often employ when we're talking about a temporary stop or a visit, right? One of our Wiesman family traditions passed down from my parents to from their parents and all the way on down from the whole family is trying to get all of the kids back under the roof that we were raised under. Does anybody else have this tradition? Like your kids have grown up, they've moved away. All you want for Christmas is to bring all of them back to this spot, right? That's the plan this year. We're delaying it until a few days after Christmas. But uh, with my parents and this, I'm the first of five boys. So my parents have two spare bedrooms, five sons, five daughters-in-law, six grandchildren, and a total of 10 dogs, one of whom is geriatric and incontinent. So when they all, to put us all under one roof, 
you physics people remember, what is it, Boyle's Law? You, if you add more stuff to the same size container, the pressure increases. Our family tradition is seeing how long it takes before something blows. <laughs> Maybe some of you do the same thing. We're, we're going to get all of us back in. And this, this year, my mom, bless her heart, she really wanted all of us to be under the same roof. And we are so thrilled that my dad is using some of his hotel points <laughs> to get three of us rooms at a hotel a half an hour away where we'll have plenty of time to kind of decompress and enjoy the pool, which my parents don't have, and the quiet, which they don't have. And I mean, I just, I love my brothers and I love their spouses and I love their kids and I tolerate their dogs and it's just so much easier if you're not around them all the time, right? It's one thing to go visit something like that, and I've heard some of your stories. Some of you guys are putting up with a whole lot worse with a whole lot more grace, so good on you. It's one thing to go visit into a situation like that, but can you imagine moving back in, dwelling in that tight and cramped and limited and anxiety-ridden and angst-filled, I'm not talking about my parents' house anymore, obviously, Mom, if you're listening, uh, and just uncomfortable. Can you imagine all moving back in there and deciding, hey, we're just, you know what? This is great. Let's do this for the rest of our lives. Any takers? I imagine Jesus must have been feeling something similar on the first Christmas morning. Like, wait, I'm leaving that to go where? To move into what? Now, I put it that way because I thought it would be funnier. Nobody laughed, but I thought it would be funnier. What's actually being said here in verse 19, uh, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was able to tolerate dwelling, begrudgingly resigned to dwelling. No, nothing like that. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, pleased to to dwell, looked on those circumstances and said, that's favorable. It's the same word in Luke 2 where we uh, talk about um, peace on earth and, wow, I always get the translations mixed up. The people on whom God's favor rests. It's the favor word. It's that, that same word, like his pleasure is on this plan. The fullness of God, God himself in Jesus dwells in humanity, in human form. And God said, this, this is what I've been looking forward to. First Christmas morning, it's finally time. God says, I'm, I'm moving in, in Jesus, moving into humanity, moving into a rootedness, moving into a, a place, moving into restriction, moving into what it means to be human. All the fullness of God, pleased to dwell in Jesus for us. If it's true, the, the whole storyline of the Bible, if it's true that we were made in perfect union with God and walked away from it and broke it, spit on it and said, I'm going to go find something else, and our relationship is now with God is now broken, and none of us are all that interested, not interested at all, in moving back towards God. 
If that broken relationship is going to be reconciled, repaired, brought back together, someone has to move. Someone has to move first because it's not getting fixed on its own. It's just getting worse. Someone has to move if our relationship with God is going to be what it was meant to be since the beginning, from the beginning. So who took the first step? It's right there in verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God moved toward us. If there's going to be reconciliation, someone has to move. Someone has to move first. To redeem, to buy back, to, to reconcile, to repair, to, to fix. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know how damaging and how destructive our fallen worship is. We talked about this a lot last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen, because if I try to preach another sermon inside of this sermon, there's no way we're winning on the race to Cracker Barrel. So you'll have to go back and listen. Our fallen worship is eating us alive from the inside out, destabilizing and disintegrating our relationship with ourselves, with God, with one another, and with the world around us. Our broken relationship with God is causing the destruction of everything we love and everything we're searching for. And we are incapable of seeing that unless God moves towards us first. Praise God at Christmas. We get to spend a month not just fighting people for toys, but also thinking about the peace that Jesus came to bring, that he began by moving toward us, the reconciliation that he began by stepping toward us. If there's going to be reconciliation, someone has to move. In addition, if there's going to be reconciliation, not only does someone have to move, but someone has to sacrifice. Take a look at verse 20. If there's going to be reconciliation, someone has to sacrifice. Verse 20 says, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to reconcile to God all things. I want to pause for a minute, make sure we're all on the same page with the word reconcile. I know I've used it a bunch of times. Uh, Reconcile is, you've used the word before. Do you remember in like eighth grade home ec learning how to reconcile your checkbook with, with a, no, who said no? With a pen and a calculator, like in the paper, they don't teach that anymore? Okay, I don't do it anymore either. I just assume whatever the bank says is true. (laughs) But you know, you reconcile because you want to take what the bank says you have and what you think you have and make them match. It's two things that should be together, might be separate, and if they're separate, you reconcile it, you bring them back together right? Your kids, you have two kids, they're fighting. You get in the middle, you separate them, you say, apologize, apologize, great, now you're reconciled, right? You want to bring them, they were together, they're apart, you want to bring them back together. Or you have friends that are fighting and you, you keep going to one and then the other, explaining the one's point of view to the other over and over until they're finally back together. You've reconciled them, I mean, it's, it's a normally used word. Take it and apply it to our relationship with God. We actually have the, basically the same storyline. We were 
in unity, in union with God, we, were, we are now separated from him and we need to be brought back together, reconciled. Now, reconciled is one of kind of a whole grab bag, uh, Skittles bag of different flavored words we use to talk about what God has done for us. Reconciled is one of them, redeemed is another. Sometimes we use words like adoption or justification or salvation, things like that. And think of it this way. If, if our problem, maybe I should say since our problem with God is that we have emancipated ourselves from his family. We've said, I, I don't, have, don't want anything to do with you being in charge of me. I don't want any part of this family. Then God's movement toward us we call adoption. He has moved towards us and adopted us back into his family. If our problem with God is that we have broken his law and we need a judge who can both uphold justice and show us grace, then God's movement towards us, we use words like justification to describe that. Uh, If our problem or sense our problem uh, is that we have sold ourselves into slavery to sinfulness, then we need someone to come buy us out of slavery. And when we're talking about our problem in those terms, we use words like redemption to be bought back. When our problem is that our relationship with God is broken and we're separated and we're at war with him, we need someone to reconcile, to bring us back together. Reconciliation is kind of the the flavor of what God has done for us that this poem focuses on in verse 20, through Jesus to reconcile to God, to bring back to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Making peace by the blood of the cross. For reconciliation to happen, someone has to move, but someone also has to sacrifice. Someone has to move, and someone has to sacrifice. I think part of the reason my parents like to get all of us boys together and our families under one roof is that that's what my dad grew up doing. Uh, First of five is rough. He's second of 11. Catholic farming stocks, so they were prolific. And uh, you can imagine 12 families all back under one roof. It's a recipe for tension. And it, but it was, oh man, it was the best part of being a kid and growing up and going to Christmas stuff because when all the cousins are together and we have the whole house for rubber band wars and it was just, it was epic, it was, it was so much fun, it, but we don't do it anymore. We don't do it anymore because the family, the siblings have fractured under the weight of broken relationships left unrepaired. I've got an uncle who hasn't been to a family thing in 20 years, didn't make it to either of his parents' funerals. Uh, Jenna's never met him. My wife, Jenna, has never met him. She insists he's fake news. Um, That we just all invented him in order to blame stuff on. But he exists. I've I've seen him in person. I've got an aunt who uh, lives overseas, can't come back to the U.S. without getting arrested in customs for uh, not, um, not paying back all of her government student loans. 
So she couldn't come to uh, my grandparents' funerals, and then the other siblings are mad that she didn't manage her money well enough to be able to come back, and even though they've been sending bailouts and smuggling cash over to her and things like that, it, it, it's caused a rift. And then, of course, I've got two aunts who are fighting over my grandparents' will, and so they don't want to be in the same room with each other, and then I've got uh, uncles who were best friends with their brothers-in-law, but now the brothers-in-law are divorced from the sisters, and so how do the brothers stay friends with the brothers-in-law? And it's just, we're, we're not going to get all of us in the same room again. Because, you know, broken relationships left unresolved don't get better. And I, I wish do you remember when we were kids and people told us to act like adults? <laughs> I wish I could go to, to my aunts and to my uncles and say, I liked it better when I thought our family had no problems and that we all loved each other and enjoyed spending time with one another. Why can't you guys just forgive each other? Move on, come back together. Let's do Christmas like we used to do when there were 30 of us in the living room all in a circle playing Dirty Santa and nobody could remember what was in any of the boxes. I mean, it was just these great memories and times. And I said, just, can you not forgive one another? But of course you can't just forgive. It's not that easy. Somebody, if there's gonna be reconciliation, somebody has to take the first step, but somebody also has to sacrifice. You, you know this, if you've been in any sort of relationship, um, like long, ongoing relationship built on love, uh, you know, like a parent and a child, or siblings, or friends, or uh, spouses, you know that when the relationship breaks or fractures for some reason, there's an offense, one of the two of you has to move towards the other. That, we take that as given. But one of the two of you also has to sacrifice. When you're the person who was offended, when you're the person in the relationship, the relationship's broken, and the other person did the wrong thing, it's very easy to step back and say, I'll just let them come to me. It's not my fault, aunt so-and-so whatevered, and now we have this problem. It's not, it's not my fault that they have a problem with me just telling the truth. It's not, so I'm just going to step back and let, let, I'll let them move first because after all, they're the one in the wrong. Have you ever experienced that? Someone, of course, has to take the first step. But taking the first step always implies then there is a sacrifice coming. If you're the person who was offended and you decide, you know what, for the good of the relationship and my love for the other person, I love them more, I, I'm, I'm more interested in them than I am in how they offended me. I'm more interested in our relationship than I am in what they did wrong. I'm going to step towards them. But doing that means you are then absorbing into yourself. You're taking into yourself all of the pain and the bitterness and the chances to bring this up again and the retribution and the pride of being right. You're saying none of that matters. I'm sacrificing all of that to restore, to reconcile this relationship. You can't just forgive. There's always a sacrifice. There's always a giving up of something. When you're the person who did the offending, you're the offender, 
you realize you've damaged this relationship, now you, you want to do something about it. You go to the other person and you say to them, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. I admit what I did was wrong. Will you forgive me? You two are making a sacrifice. You're going to them and saying, I give up control of this relationship. I give up control of your opinion of me. I give up my, uh, my desire to manipulate, manipulate you back into accepting me, liking me, whatever. I'm giving all of that up and putting it in your hands. I'm sacrificing that so that this relationship can be restored. When there's a broken, a broken relationship and reconciliation is needed, somebody has to move, but somebody also has to sacrifice. Hopefully in human relationships, it's a little bit of give and take, like we both are sacrificing for the other, but in our relationship with God, we are the offending party. We're the ones who did wrong and are entirely in the wrong. Yet none of us are interested in taking a step or making the sacrifice. So God took the first step and God made the sacrifice. Look at verse 20. In him all the fullness of God, in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to God, to himself, reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, that's reconciliation, another way of putting the same idea of uh, two things that are separated at war with one another, at odds with one another, Peace is made, they're brought back together, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christmas morning is when we celebrate God taking the first step toward us. And it's a great holiday. It's a great season. It's, I mean, God giving himself to us and becoming man and, and descending from heaven, pouring himself out into the form of humanity, into the form of a servant is a perfect opportunity to buy your kids a huge collection of Bratz dolls. I mean, I can't think of a better reason. This is the season that we celebrate that God made the first step toward us. But in the Christian calendar, Christmas isn't the big holiday. It was largely ignored for the first couple hundred years of church history because, okay, Jesus was, was born. That's great. That's just step one. The manger is just the prelude to the cross. The core of the church calendar is Easter. The core of why we get together is Easter morning, resurrection morning, when we celebrate not a baby in a manger, but the man who gave himself, the God-man who gave himself for us. That's the core of this story. Remember, we were created in union with God to worship him forever, but we fell away from it. We walked away from it. We traded worship of God for worship of something else. And Jesus came and gave himself for us, moved towards us, and made the sacrifice that would draw us back to God with the promise that one day in eternity we will worship God forever and perfectly without ever worrying about walking away or falling away again. The manger is in the middle between these movements of the story. We were created to worship. We've fallen away from worship. Jesus came to redeem. He sacrificed himself to redeem our worship. We will worship him forever in eternity. The manger's in the middle of the movements. 
Christmas in context means this is not the end of the story, it's the beginning. This is when we start to get excited that, okay, Christmas is here. God is doing something that has never been done before and will never be repeated again. He's breaking into time and space, pouring himself into humanity, being pleased for all of his fullness to dwell in Jesus so that at Easter we can say we are forgiven because of the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. We're spending this time in Colossians 1 because we want to make sure to put Christmas in context. It's a great holiday, but it pales in comparison to, to the real core of the message. What Jesus did on the cross for us to redeem, to buy back, to earn back, to win back our worship. So we have 10 days left before Christmas. And if you're from a liturgical tradition, uh, we have 10 days left until Christmas starts, and then you get 12 days of Christmas, so how cool is that? We have 10 days left to anticipate the coming of Jesus, remember the coming of Jesus as a baby, and anticipate His coming again to usher us into eternal, perfect worship forever and ever. Amen. What are we going to do with the time we have right now? What are we going to do with this place in the story, redeemed, but not yet for eternity? Well, as I've gone over and over this in my mind, two main ideas have, have come to the forefront for me. We've been arguing in this Advent series that the, the, the big story of the Bible, so the big story of humanity, the big problem of humanity is not a problem so much of what we do. That's a symptom of the problem. It's not so much a problem of how we treat one another. Again, that's a symptom of the problem. The real problem is who we worship, that we have traded worship of God for worship of someone else. So if you have not... I'll use the old-timey churchy language. If you have not gotten right with God, that's the very beginning. It doesn't matter how you treat one another. It doesn't matter the good things you do. It doesn't matter how you're giving or serving in your community or how you're trying to love everyone. The problem isn't between you and other people. It's between you and God. This would be like my uncle who hasn't showed up in 20 years saying, why are you all mad at me? I'm really nice to my neighbors. Like, I don't care how nice you are to your neighbors. You should come to your parents' funeral. Our problem is with God. So until that problem is fixed, none of the other problems or issues or the symptoms of that problem won't resolve themselves. If you have never found yourself in a position where you, you've realized for yourself that you are separated, alienated from God, but that He took the first step toward you and made the sacrifice that made it possible for you to come back to Him, if you've never really grasped that and responded to that, man, I would love to talk to you about it today. I mean, there's, it, at this season, this time of year, when we think about Jesus coming and why he came, this is why. Come talk to me or one of the other pastors or one of the prayer partners up here afterwards. We would love to, to talk with you more about that. But if you are one of, one of those for whom this, this story has overwhelmed and captivated your imagination and, and grabbed your heart, and you've said, yeah, I'm, I'm following this Jesus who gave himself for me, 
then the question becomes, well, what are you doing with that? Where are you going with that, that reconciliation that God has already given to you? If it's true that our relationship with God was broken and we had no interest in moving towards Him or making the sacrifice, we couldn't, it wasn't possible for us to make the sacrifice that would restore that relationship. So God had to move towards us and make the sacrifice Himself. If that's true and we're supposed to be like Him, then who do you need to move toward this Christmas? Who do you need to move toward and say, for your good, for the good of our relationship, because I love you and because God has shown so much grace in moving towards me first, I, I want to... I want to move towards you and say, let's, let's fix this. I'm not holding this against you anymore. Can you imagine what it would be like? Think of that person you've got a, a real conflict with that you're going to be seeing here in a week or two. Can you imagine pulling up to the house, walking in the front door, and they're standing there with their hand out and saying, hey, I've been thinking. I love you, and we need to make this right. How gracious it is when someone takes the first step. Who do you need to take a step toward? Because if you are sitting here thinking of a list of people, and you're like, nope, there's no way I could forgive that person. There's no way I could forgive him. There's no way I could forgive her. There's no way I'm forgiving them. Not going to happen then I would challenge you that God's movement towards you first has yet to overwhelm you. It has yet to really capture your heart. Because those who have been grabbed by Jesus can't help but move towards others the same way. Now, we're going we're gonna to pray. But before I do, please know just because I'm saying it doesn't mean I have it figured out. I have people in mind that I need to move toward, that I've been holding on to things. It's easy to get up here and preach this. It's really hard to do it. But we can do it, and we can do it together because Jesus has already done it for us. When God moved towards us and made the sacrifice to draw us back to him. Let's pray. Father, you have given us a, a gift, a, a grace that is incredibly beyond anything we have ever done to deserve. We have done nothing to deserve your favor. We have done nothing to, to deserve your pleasure, and yet you were pleased to dwell with us. We've done nothing to cause your heart to yearn for us. That's all your love. So God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your love, 
sink into our hearts the reality that you have stepped towards us and made the sacrifice necessary to draw us back to you so that we too may be agents of your peace, agents of reconciliation with the world around us, not just resolving the problems between us and other people, but introducing people to you so that they too may be reconciled with you. We pray this in the name of the one in whom your fullness dwells. In Jesus' name, amen.